Uh, welcome back to the Mark Steiner Show, and I'm uh, Denzel Mitchell filling in for Mark Steiner for this uh, segment of Sound Bites this week. And you're listening um, you're here on uh, 88.9 on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Um, I, I, have in st- I have in the studio with me today uh, Walker Marsh, uh, who's the founder and owner of the Flower Factory, a local flower farm in Baltimore City. Um, you can join us with your thoughts at 410-319-8888, um, or you could tweet us at Mark Steiner. Um, you could tweet me directly at Five Seats Farm, um, and you can email us at talk at steinershow.org. Walker, what's up, brother? What's going on, Denzel? Thank you for having me on, man. Yeah, man. So it's been a long time since I've seen you. Yeah, what? I feel like it was back in like 2014 when I last saw you. Or maybe 15. It's, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a long time, but you've been pretty active. <laughs> yeah, just trying to do my thing out here. And I've seen you on uh, on Instagram and, and uh, Facebook. <laughs> um, so, fi- you, so you finally got a, a farm started? Yeah, yup, uh, yup. So tell us a little bit about the farm. The flower factory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to give a background on the uh, flower factory for the folks that don't know too much about myself, um, I recently won a grant back in 2014 through the city and Chesapeake Bay Trust uh, Growing Green Design Competition. And basically, I entered to propose the idea of starting an urban flower farm over in uh, East Baltimore and actually ended up being awarded $63,000 to start the farm and you know, it was like the greatest like moment of my life to like <laughs> win that money. It was like super awesome, and uh, so I won that in 2014, and mm. then 2015 I spent the whole year just dealing with like bureaucratic crap and red tape stuff. So did that, and now this was my fi- my first growing season this year, and kind of wrapping up the season. Okay. And been growing a lot of sunflowers and other flowers to go in like arrangements and bouquets and stuff. Wow. Okay. Well, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Man. So, where where is the farm? So, where is it located? Yeah, yeah. So, it's located on the east side of Baltimore, on uh, Washington and Gay Street, mm-hmm. uh, right down the street from Humanum and up the street from John Hopkins Hospital. Is that little triangle spot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like it's super visible because it's like nothing but traffic that goes through there, and mm-hmm. then it's like like two crazy lights that people are constantly getting in car accidents because it's like one light can be green and the other light can be red and like it's just super confusing it's bad so <laughs> and so what's been the community response to you being out there because i know you know I've, I've got a little experience about we're growing in the city yeah. and in the community so what's that been like yeah it's been really great like people are just like they love it honestly you know they come by and they're like you know because in the beginning i was just kind of like standing in the field like staring off in the space dreaming about what i was going to do and they've seen the whole transition from basically a vacant lot into you know this nice you know flower farm and they just love it you know mm. okay uh, so why flowers uh i just uh for me personally i, I like flowers mm-hmm. i think they're just beautiful and they do something to you it's just like something spiritually to you i feel like and and then also just on a business side i just felt like it was a little bit more lucrative mm-hmm. than uh vegetables not to throw any shade on vegetable growers because i know you <laughs> watch out grower. now watch out now <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to, you know, just kind of go into that. And then there's just not a, a large market of, of flower farmers in the city. There are yeah. about two or three other flower farms in the city, but mm-hmm. it's still a pretty small market right now. So Okay. So you got this grant. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you found the land or the land found you or how, how'd you get connected to the uh, piece of property? Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, we had actually picked, so during the design competition, they gave us all these different lots to pick from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we actually pr- picked a different lot that was closer to Lake Clifton, uh, the park. Mm-hmm. And, uh, a developer actually came and wanted to buy the lot. So the city moved us to that lot and it actually was like a way better lot. And I'm really, I'm really glad it kind of worked out that way. Okay. Yeah. And what have you done to prep the site? Oh my goodness! It takes a whole lot of work. Really? It's been—I mean, the the site is just full of bricks and rocks and pipes. I mean, there's like still whole foundation out there. Mm-hmm. But uh, with my growers out at the farm, I had about six to eight growers out there. They were all teenagers from 15 to 19. It was pretty much their first job and really trying to teach them the skills of being a farmer and doing entrepreneurial skills right. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they we did like a lot of the hand labor out there. We rented a tractor all the way from Delaware and got like tools from like ABC and wow. we got a lot of volunteer help with Civic Works and mm-hmm. BCLC and all different type of AmeriCorps groups and churches and summer camps. It was it was really great experience and a lot of hard work. But wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so you, you had an event last week? Yeah, it was uh, about two weeks ago. Two weeks yeah, ago, two it weeks was ago. the 13th. We had the, the ribbon cutting, and okay. the mayor was out, and I had all this stuff lined up too, man. I had like yoga, I was going to have some music and everything, mm-hmm. but it was like the heat index was like 107 <laughs> or something like that. It was crazy. You couldn't get people to come out? No. It, well, people were actually out there, uh-huh. but I, I ended up just canceling a lot of stuff because. It was just too hot, and I I didn't want people to be out in the sun, and you know I didn't want nobody passing out on the farm. That's just not a good look on the opening day. Like (laughs) have people passing out out that wouldn't that would not look good. (laughs) Right, right. So all right, so this is the first year of the farm. You just now starting starting to grow some flowers. Mm -hmm. Um, So what are you planning on doing? Where are you planning on marketing? you know yeah. where 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 can we purchase some flowers? I, I oh, gotta yeah. get I gotta get my my bouquet every week. Yeah, definitely. I've been selling to uh, local color flowers. Okay. She's a local florist off, off over in Waverly, mm-hmm. and I've been selling to her. And then I also had the flowers on sale at Dove Coat Cafe and they're all oh. uh, in a uh, Reservoir Hill yeah, small Reservoir cafe Hill. off of like Madison Avenue. They're like super great. They like local color flowers and Dove Coat. They've been super supportive, and mm-hmm. I just kind of basically just bring them, drop them off, and. You know, of course, the florist, she arranges them right, and right. sells them out. But at the cafe, a lot of folks just come in and buy their coffee and buy a couple of stems. Of so you have flowers. bouquets in there or you just have stems? I just, right now, I'm mostly doing stems. Um, okay. I'm trying to stay away from doing a lot of bouquets because mm-hmm. that's just a whole, that's a whole nother job right there. So maybe, sh- maybe you should explain to folks what's the difference between, like, stems and, and bouquets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, if you want to purchase, like, just a single stem of flowers, like, you know, that would just be me going out and cutting some flowers, mm-hmm. whereas, like, a bouquet would be, like, you know, something, like, fully arranged. Like, I'm putting different flowers into a vase and then selling this to you for maybe 5 to $10 versus, mm-hmm. like, stems. You can sell those for, like, I sell, like, a sunflower, a dollar, a stem, and you can buy mm-hmm. just three of those versus a arrangement that would have, like, different flowers in there. And it was already kind of, like, put together. And, you know, it takes you out of it, but... I like selling stems because people, I think people like making their own bouquets and stuff mm. like that. So mm-hmm. My wife uh, does, definitely. Oh, yeah. So uh, so w- what kind of flowers are you growing? Right now I have, mm, excuse me, I got uh, sunflowers and flux and asters and black-eyed Susan. Mm. I got a lot of basil. Uh, got a lot of uh, salvia. It's like this really, like a, like it's in the mint family. It's a mm-hmm. purple flower. It's really cool. It doesn't, mm-hmm. I wish it smelled more like a mint, mm-hmm. but uh 
got that and a lot of coleus and other like landscape and stuff but yeah mostly sunflowers are like the big hit right now I'm really? just kind of like selling a lot of those and you're doing uh pollen uh Pollen sunflowers and pollen lists, or are you only I doing just, pollen lists? Yeah, only pollen lists. Only yeah, pollen lists. What yeah. about the bees, brother? I mean, the bees actually, they are all on these uh, sunflowers that I have, and these, like, because I'm not too sure what, you know, they grab it, but they are all on it, and, <laughs> you know, but they don't drop, uh, they don't drop any pollen on, like, when you put it in your vase or anything like that, so it works out. I'm okay. just, you know. It's, it's, it's been going really good. Getting a lot of wildlife out there. Got butterflies and big old grasshoppers out there. And in the middle of the, you know, city, I mean, it's like nothing but houses and, you know, concrete around there. You right, know? right. So it's nice to see all this different wildlife wildlife out there. Okay. Yeah. So, all right, so so you, uh, you're raising some money for the farm. Yes, yes. Got the so Kickstarter. So you got a Kickstarter. Yes, going. got the Kickstarter Crowdfunding, going. so. Yes. Okay, so tell us about that. Yeah, so the Kickstarter is, like, super awesome uh, right now. If you go on Kickstarter and search Oh My Flower Garden or Walker Marsh, it should come up. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a what, video. What's, what's the first one you said? Oh My Flower Garden. Oh My Flower Garden. Yeah, we use uh, OMFG. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Is that, uh, is that, is that uh, reference to the Manny Fresh and uh, Yasin Bey? No, 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 I didn't even know about that. Oh, no, saying, dang. Oh, man, I should have known. <laughs> I got to look this up now. <laughs> but no, it actually was a name that uh, my friend Chino came up with, and we were kind of like playing around with different stuff. And uh-huh. I was thinking like, oh, my God, flowers. And he was like, oh, my flower garden. And I was like, that's hot. We're going to have to use that. Oh, my flower but, garden. Uh, okay. Yeah, but the the campaign right now is to raise $10,000 to mm-hmm. get myself, well, get the farm, a farm truck and you know, other equipment like uh, drip irrigation and mm. things to like put the our arbor because we need like some shade out there. It's just like full sun out there, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like it's just too much sun a lot of times. So trying to make a shaded structure and get like I said some tools, equipment, uh, get some trees out there. I would like to have some like fruiting trees out there mm. and just some some other things for the farm. You know, since I won that money a lot of the money was really spent to develop the site Mm -hmm. and it didn't really go to the business to the business right so now i'm trying to like build the business up and get it so that you know i'm not pulling out of my pocket because i ain't got no money in my pocket (laughs) and i'm pulling it out i'm like how am i buying this stuff and i ain't got no money so right right. just trying to get a little bit of money together yeah yeah i think a a lot of times one one thing that people fail to realize is how much it costs to finance a farm food um protein yeah. flowers mm-hmm. there's a lot of infrastructure yeah. needs going to play. yeah it's ridiculous i mean like you said just like feeding yourself like mm-hmm. it's like you know all the energy that you got to put into it and mm-hmm. it's like like you got to eat too and it's <laughs> like that costs a lot of money to yourself <laughs> i'm like i'm trying to feed myself and feed the farm it's like it's like a daggone baby a, a big old half acre baby <laughs> <laughs> wow so um uh, so what are some of the premiums you offer on the kickstarter uh, right now I'm doing like t-shirts and and like a lot of like merchandise and stuff like mm-hmm. uh the the biggest package I believe is the uh the pollinator I kind of was trying to play off the different stages of like a plant or a seed mm-hmm. so I had the the cedar the grower the germinator and the pollinator okay and uh the pollinator you get like a a gift basket so I'll send out like a book and maybe like a flower factory t-shirt and some other like farming equipment like a trial and small things like that okay and that was like that's like the 300 then the the 100 gets you just like a t-shirt and other merchandisers merchandise and then the rest of them get you like 
Facebook shout out, Instagram shout out, mm, uh, mm-hmm. like a thank you card sent in the mail, a handwritten okay. thank you card, and just uh, other merchandise stuff like that. So okay, try to right. just make it all flower factory fun, you know. Right, right. Uh, so so people need to go to Kickstarter and yes. support the flower factory. Yes, they yes. yes. Walker Marsh. Yes, and search Oh My Flower Garden oh and, flower and watch garden. the video. O M F G. Yes, O M F G. And you didn't you didn't know anything about the Manny Fresh? No, Yassine. no. I, it, the project no. never came out, but oh I, really? Yeah, when I saw that, I I, I hey. thought that was referencing. Okay, that. well I gotta I gotta go check yeah. it out. Hopefully it yeah, will come out. <laughs> All right, so you sticking around with us for the next? Yeah, segment. yep, yep, yep. Um, so this is uh, Walker Marsh. Um, he's the founding owner of the Flower Factory. Uh, Fire Farm in uh, Baltimore City, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Denzel Mitchell filling in for Mark Steiner. You can join us with your thoughts at 410-319-8888. Uh, you can tweet us at Mark Steiner or you can tweet me at Five Seats Farm. Um, you can also email the show at talk at steinershow.org. Um, so for the next segment, we have a Young Farmers Roundtable. Uh, I think I'm the oldest <laughs> oldest man in the building right now. The youngest man in the building. <laughs> <laughs> um, Walker Marsh is back with us. He's founder and owner of the Flower Factory, local flower farm right here in Baltimore City. Um, we have Kristen Carbone on the phone. So, uh, old friend who I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, former owner of Radix Farm. And she is currently working as a farm consultant and farming Baltim- in part-time in Baltimore. What's up, Kristen? Hey, Denzel, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, And we have uh, Jason James, who is a co-owner of Moon Valley Farm, which is a multi-site farm up in Baltimore County. Yeah, honored to be here. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, So I just wanted to sit down and and chat like we do. You know, farmers like to sit down and talk when uh, we're not working in the field. You know, generally when it's uh, in the middle of the night and there might be some some cool (laughs) drinks in front of us. Um, If... If we, we could just go around and y'all could kind of talk about how you got into farming, how you how you got here. Cool. Um, so I actually spent part of my childhood growing up on a, um, a really old farm in the Piedmont of Virginia. Uh, my granddad retired from farming about three years ago at 89 years old, 88 years old, something like that. Mm. And, uh, you know, he came from seven generations of farmers before him. So it was something that was a big part of my life as a young kid, and then I moved away from it, and I wound up in Baltimore City and uh, spent years doing all kinds of other stuff, 
and um, really needed a new direction in my life and something that I could really believe in and throw myself into. And, you know, one thing led to another, and I wound up uh, growing vegetables, um, trying to feed people. Mm. Mm. What about you, Kristen? Yeah, I, I did not come from a farming background at all. Um, I was always interested in, in it, though. I did some conservation work and gardening, and I had community garden plots in D.C., and just really got enamored with it and wanted to learn more. So I started volunteering at a farm, and that led to a, a part-time job. And then before I knew it, I was working at that farm for four years. And at that point, it, it, it was time to, to move on, and uh, I came across a great deal to lease some land in Prince George's County and started my own farm from scratch on that land in Prince George's. And I, and I ran that farm, Radix Farm, for six years. Mm-hmm. And then uh, decided to take a break this season. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We talked. We talked to uh, Walker before, but how, how'd you get? How'd you get to farming? Um, honestly, I kind of fell into it too as well. You know, I really don't have background in farming. Um, I was like working, and I just didn't like my job, so <laughs> <laughs> I was like looking for something to do. And uh, I was working at Civic Works. I was in AmeriCorps there, mm-hmm. and. I happened to, they had the program, uh, Real Food Farm, and they were hiring, and I just didn't like the job I was doing. I was like, I'll try it. You know, I really was not trying to farm, but, like, the first day I did, I just fell in love with it, and I was like, I got to stick with this and and keep on going with it. So, really just kind of fell into it. Wow. So, so there's a movement, right? They've been talking about this for a few years. There's a movement of young farmers Mm -hmm. um, in... uh, Definitely in the Chesapeake region, uh, but all around the United States. And um, what's it like to be uh, a part of that that process, part of that trajectory? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know that I get much time to even think about it. (laughs) You know, Uh, it it's great. I mean, we've got this this really amazing group of peers of you know people our age and younger than us Mm -hmm. and slightly older than us that um, have been doing this sometimes for a number of years, sometimes for one season. And people are coming to it from so many different places Mm -hmm. and for so many different reasons that it it just feels really creative and energetic and um, like something amazing could happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I think it's great. I don't I don't know if every industry is like this, but the the amount of of people that are willing to just share what they're doing and, and answer questions from conferences to field days at different farms. I mean, the movement itself, everyone is so cooperative mm-hmm. and, and will really just help each other. And I find that like absolutely amazing and something that I think getting into into farming now is probably a lot easier than way back when, you know, the first few organic farms in the 80s just didn't have as many peers or support network. Now there's mm-hmm. such a great support network that I think it it's, it's a really hard, hard career. And I think that that helps make it easier. Yeah, I would completely, completely agree. Um, so what is d- – describe the process of, like, launching a farm enterprise. I um, I feel like a lot of people see farming um, either uh, on two pol- two extremes, two polarities. Either it's not really a business, like you're just kind of outside mm-hmm. growing stuff and it's going to sell itself. You know, it's just easy, mm-hmm. no, no big deal. Or it's like all this work, um, you know – there's all this upfront funding that you need to come up with. You got to find mm-hmm. some land. You got to you got to get people to work for you, so that you can grow enough food to stock an entire grocery store or or go to 15 farmers markets mm-hmm. or whatever. You know, and, and folks don't really seem to understand like 
the the middle ground because um, I think you're farming on about four acres. Mm-hmm. Um, Kristen, you were farming on about seven, right? No, it was about four. Yeah. Four acres, and then Walker, you own a, a half acre. Half acre, yeah. half acre. Yeah. So what's that? So what's that like? What's it like getting started? Yeah, it's uh, a lot of work that doesn't always pan out. And, um, you know, I think um, our farm is a really interesting situation because I came into it kind of two years into the process. My business partner, Emma, started the farm. And at the scale that she started at, um, you know, it was something for her to do and it had a lot of potential. But when we decided that I was going to come in as well, we realized that the farm really had to be able to provide an income for people. Mm -hmm. And that required really stepping up our game in terms of thinking about the business side of things and what that enterprise really looked like, you know, just like you're saying, of really figuring that out. Mm -hmm. And so what that's looked like is hours and hours and hours and hours of conversation and thinking about it and researching it and talking to other farmers and talking to customers and just, you know, putting ourselves out there and hustling and every single way that we can possibly think of. Right, right, right. Kristen? Yeah, I um, I started, I mean, I started slow, and that's, and that's how I got there. Uh, you know, I came to the farm I was working at was, was quite large. They were growing on 20 acres with, you know, three, 400 CSA members, and, and I was just starting it on my own. It was just me and, and some land I was renting. So mm-hmm. the first year in 2009, I started on the half acre and, and got, you know, about 20 five CSA members and, and started to get some systems in place and, and started to get my feet wet and get the business in order. Cause there is, there is so much to do to get, a, you know, any business up and running and then especially farming with all the infrastructure you have to think of. Mm-hmm. And then each year I just grew it. You know, I, I just took the slow route. I grew it a little bit, you know, second year I was one acre and by the end I was four acres with, you know, four employees. But those first few years it was, it was just me and some volunteer help and, and that's how I got started. And, and for me, it wasn't a whole lot of upfront investment because I was really lucky to find land to lease that was affordable. Um, you know, at some point as I was farming, I was looking around for land to buy to have my own farm that, that I owned. Uh, and that was, and I ended up not finding something that would have made sense what you can make on a farm to pay for, to pay for land in the Baltimore, D.C. region. is mm-hmm. that's, that's a big hurdle. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've heard both of y'all, or all three of y'all, talk about um, like the relationship to uh, to your customers, um, and the importance of of uh, marketing and and talking with people and just really networking. I think for small farms, um, that sort of interaction is incredibly more important than for like a you know a, a seventy acre farm or an eighty acre farm. Um, and so if you guys could just kind of speak to, to that, you know, like being out and about in the city, you know, you're doing deliveries in, in Baltimore City, and people start to connect you. They start, start to connect your face with, uh, with food. Or if you, and if you go to the farmer's market, that happens um, a lot more. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you guys think about, uh, you know, about that kind of interaction? Well, I think for me right now, like, as far as uh, interacting with the market, I've been like, social media like crazy like that's like <laughs> the best thing like instagram facebook i have a twitter but i don't you know be on there like that but <laughs> i mean it, it's just amazing because you know people like they see the pictures and they're like oh you know when can i come out to the farm and get this or get that or just you know volunteer out there like social media has just been completely just uh just a blessing and 
you know, since I'm like in my first year, I'm still, you know, getting used to like going to take it to the farmer's markets or taking it to the florist. So I'm still like figuring it all out. But, you know, definitely social media is like the way to go for me. I know at least. But mm-hmm. What about you, Jay? Yeah, I mean, for us, um, you know, we really are a community supported farm. I mean, we borrow land from our community members to farm on. We don't own any farmland. Um, we borrow seven different sites in Baltimore County from our neighbors. Mm. And um, we get CSA members the same way. You know, we've got a, a lot of CSA members that live right in our community. Um, we offer a, a special, like, neighborhood share for those folks. And um, and even as we come into the city and do drop-offs there, you know, so much of our business is based on word of mouth and based on reputation of somebody speaking not just to the quality of our produce, but to who we are as people and who we are as business owners and and doing everything we can to try to make sure those connections, you know, stay really tight and that mm-hmm. we're, we're looking out for our people. Um, that's been crucial for us. And then like Walker said, social media, social media, right, social right. media. Uh, we're both all over Instagram, all over Facebook, constantly. Yeah, yeah. All right, we have to take a brief break, but don't go away. When we come back, we'll continue our Young Farmers Roundtable. Um, before we go to break, I would like to let you know that the Rise of Charm City is looking for funding for its second season. They're in the last days of their fundraising, and they're looking to raise money to produce more episodes focusing on generational stories in Baltimore. To donate, go to Indiegogo.com and search Rise of Charm City, and follow them on Twitter at Rise of Charm City to get more info. Tune in to The Steiner Show tomorrow at 10 for a two-hour special where we'll hear the best of the past season of The Rise of Charm City. Welcome back. I'm Denzel Mitchell, sitting in for Mark Steiner here on Sound Bites and the Mark Steiner Show here on your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Uh, we got Walker Marsh here, founder and owner of the Flower Factory, uh, flower farm here in Baltimore City. Uh, Kristen Carbone is on the phone, uh, former owner of Radix Farm, currently working as a farm consultant and farming part-time in Baltimore, and Jason James, who's a co-owner of the Moon Valley Farm. And you can tweet us um, at Mark Steiner, or you can tweet me directly at Five Seats Farm. You can call into the station at 410-319-8888. We'd love to hear your thoughts about uh, local farming, young farmers farming in Baltimore City, farming in Baltimore County, um, and uh, becoming the best of Baltimore. Uh, <laughs> we just uh, just learned that... Um, Moon Valley Farm is in the runnings with two other CSAs for the best CSA in Baltimore. That's right. That's dope. That's dope. Um, and we were also talking about the importance of interacting with the customers. And um, I know you two are very active, as as like I am, on social media 
and you know, in a lot of ways, you're social media darlings, and <laughs> and uh, social media <laughs> looks very sexy, right? You can you can kind of block the weeds out of the yeah. corner, oh, yes, oh yeah, right, right. You can only take pictures. You, you can take pictures, right? <laughs> yeah, long shots of the field, long yes. shots of the field. You, you can get all the uh, parasitized uh, hornworms, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and you don't have to you don't have to see the diseased tomato no. tomato mm-hmm. leaves in the back. Um, so, how important is that? How important is uh, social media? Oh, it's crucial. I mean, how's it I, changed? It's changed the game for farming, right? I, I would assume so. I mean, I didn't farm before social media, <laughs> so it's it's all I've ever known. Um, but it's it's our primary way of of putting our message out there, of putting our image out there, of you know showing the world and our potential customers who we are and what we're about and what we have to offer. Um, and I think, you know, my partner and I, we take kind of different takes on it. Mm-hmm. She uh, she really tries to highlight, you know, the best of what's going on on the farm and and show the beautiful produce and the shots of things that are working really well. Mm-hmm. And I'm a lot more likely to show the things that are are really making me ponder or are really giving me a headache yeah. or whatever. Um, and so it's a little bit of a way to, for me to vent also. Right. <laughs> uh and I think that's great. I think people, you know, want to see all of that and kind of need to see all of that because, um, to be honest, most people don't really know what what goes on on a farm. They just mm-hmm. see the food in the end. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I was just I was just thinking. It's also really a great way for farmers to interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Right. So we yeah. talked about like kind of that cooperative, huge working. So when you know farmers post like their new implements. Or they oh, show yeah. some freshly, uh, freshly worked up fields. You're trying to see what kind of, what kind of tractor and stuff they got. And it's, it's, you know, I know Instagram has made it much easier to like yeah. ask questions because now you don't have to get on the phone. You don't have to send an email. You can just send a message real quick. Um, and I know for me, it, you know, I, it was always nice to kind of creep and see what was in everybody's CSA box. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes. What y'all offering? Right. right. <laughs> It's like, oh, you got uh, eight items. Okay. Yeah, what about you? What you think about social media? I don't know. I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it because, like Jason was saying, it's like it's like you get to virtually come to my phone without actually having to come here, you know, and it's <laughs> like, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to leave their house. You know, everybody just wants to sit on their phone and to be able to, you know, just be in your feed, you know, and just, like, throwing it at people because, you know, it's something different. You know, people don't think about farming on an everyday basis of, Mm -hmm. you know, just regular, not regular folks, but just, you know, your average person. They're not, it's such a new thing, you know, to be young and farming and to see folks that are doing it like your age and, you know, in, in around the where you live at, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's super awesome. And I I just love it. I just, you know, selling and connecting with folks and and following. And I love seeing everybody else's practices. So I don't Mm -hmm. have to think about nothing. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to just do what they did. (laughs) (laughs) Kristen, what what about you? You still creeping on Instagram or? Yeah, no, I I never did Instagram. But, you know, just hearing you guys, it's just amazing how much it changed. I mean, of course, you know, social media has changed in just the, the past few years. When I started in 2009, I didn't have a Facebook. There was no Instagram, Twitter. It was this long newsletter, you know, paragraphs <laughs> and paragraphs by email, trying to insert pictures, you know. And then eventually, it's just you know, I think it's it's a lot better now. It's easier. People can see can see the the farm so easily and see mm-hmm. what's going on. But you know, yeah. I always the the face to face was was always so important to me. Yeah. And I did my CSA pickup market style, 
You know, right. that was that was like my shtick. You know, every every pickup, you a farmer was there. You know, usually it was me, and you could talk and ask questions, and I can explain. You know, this is pot soy, this is yukina savoy, this is bok choy. You know, mm-hmm. like these are all the millions of different greens and what you can do with it. And I think that's what really really helped to help my business succeed was being like just really being out there and talking with folks at the market and at the CSA. Mm, there's nothing really, nothing beats that. You know, there's so much coming out you on social media. Mm-hmm. You still have to be out there. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> do you guys, you guys feel like uh, young farmers have uh, a better advantage? Like, are things easier for younger farmers um, over older generations of family farms? Like, does having access to more information make things a little easier, um, you know, this, these new kind of interfaces, um, you know, and even owning versus not owning land. Like, you know, is it is it easier to be a farmer today? Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the question, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's anything easy about farming in, <laughs> in any no. circumstance. Um, you know, certainly as a as a young farmer, especially if you're you're not coming from a direct transition from you know taking over mm-hmm. from an older relative mm-hmm. or something like that, um, you've got to put so much stuff together. You've got to figure out the land piece. I mean, mm-hmm. like Kristen said, you know, we can't afford to buy land. Right, I mean, right. There's there's no good farm for sale anywhere near Baltimore City that mm-hmm. we could even touch in price right right um we got to put the equipment piece together we still don't own a tractor mm-hmm. so if we've got to do big equipment work we've got to find somebody mm-hmm. to rent it from or borrow it or whatever um so there's a lot of advantages that we have as young farmers in terms of the information and the community and the networking but i don't know that that outweighs um you know having all of those assets Mm-hmm. behind you if you were coming from a multi-generational farm hmm. Hmm. I, think, I think all that i think it's a little easier now with all the information that's so readily accessible and, and farming being more more of a movement now but you know like jason said there's, there's no, nothing easy about farming and i mm-hmm. think some things now are harder too now that there are a lot more farms you know, I mean, mm. there's still room to grow, but there's a little more competition to get the CSA members. Right, right. There's more people. You know, every community wants a farmer's market, and, mm. and they can't always support that, and that's difficult. And then with now the, you know, I've been hearing a lot more about the advent of things like Blue Apron and all those, like, mail order services. Mm. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's competition, too. So some things are easier, but as it gets bigger, some, you know, some things get harder, too. Right, right. I know one thing. I've always consistently talked about is I think environmentally, um, just mm-hmm. with the changes in the environment, that seems to me, you know, that to make farming much, much harder. I mean, this last winter and the, the late, the lateness of the winter and the wetness of the spring. I mean, that, you know, that's never something that you can plan or expect. But I mean, the, the winters have definitely been a lot hotter mm-hmm. and the summers have definitely been a lot drier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- I, I don't even know if that was a conversation 50 years ago, but we seem to be talking about it quite a bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What about you? So you got so you got this little s- spot of land here in yeah. the city. You rocking out. What's what's it like? It's. I mean, it, like I said, it, it's it's hard. You know, it's hard work. I mean, yeah, that you know, like to agree with both uh, Kristen and Jason, uh, access to information is like is right there. There's so many sources, so many ways I could talk to farmers, so many different places. You know, I can get good information, but to really like get good it's just a lot of hard work you got to put into it i mean and that's 
that's just farming to its core, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. but you know, I don't know. It, it's it's been fun. I mean, I yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. Yeah. Do y'all feel some relief over working on lease land, or um, like, is there some, is there some deep down part of you that's like, oh, it would be nice to to have my own deed, my own mortgage, mm-hmm. you know? Because like, you know, that's the thing, and in, in I know in this area, it's like you said. Um, land is incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of land sitting around that's not being used. So let me go grow some food on it. I mean, that's how I got started. Yeah. So you know, Moon Valley Farm. Uh, we're like a suburban sprawl farm. Right. We're on <laughs> we're on seven different sites between Cockeysville and Phoenix, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all borrowed. Uh, the landowners are all CSA members, and that's great. But we only ever have a two year lease anywhere. And um, so far, everybody has chosen to renew that two-year lease when it comes up. Mm-hmm. But we don't have the security of owning our own land. That We don't know that the time and investment we put in to prepare soil, to put up fences, that mm-hmm. kind of thing, that we're going to be able to pay that back uh, over the years it takes of actually growing there. And then further from that, we don't have the ability to put in any kind of real infrastructure. So we have one site that's got all of our hoop houses, it's got our high tunnel, it's got our wash station, it's got our walk-in cooler, it's got all that stuff. And we've got to move produce in and out of there. Um, if we want to irrigate somewhere, we've got to put a tank on a truck and drag a pump out with us. Really? Um, you know, if we need to to do field work, we've got to haul equipment all over the county. So mm. there's real disadvantages to to using that available land without the security of ownership. Mm. Wow. Kristen. Yeah, it's a it's a real conundrum. The you know, leasing land again, it lets you get your foot in the door mm-hmm. to, to get started farming without that mortgage payment, you mm-hmm. know, which is great because otherwise, you know, I don't know if you could do it. And, you know, I'm really glad I started on leased land because when you start out you don't know maybe exactly what scale or, or what infrastructure or what tractor you might need. I think it's a it's a great jumping off but, but yeah, as the, as the years went on, I, I was I wanted my own land because every decision was is this was was uh, you know I'm only on lease land. Should, should I build this infrastructure? Should right, I build right. a better washing station? You know, should mm-hmm. I do this? Is it worth it? And it really at some point started to stunt the growth of the business. Um, so so I think it's, it's great that those options are out there, but it's, it's tough see them as long-term options. And I think that's something that young farmers are definitely, I mean, that's a, that's a big hurdle. Wow. Wow. Well, so we have to wrap up our uh, roundtable. I want to thank Walker Marsh, uh, founder and owner of the Flower Factory. He is currently uh, pushing forward a Kickstarter. Kickstarter, yeah, $10,000. $10, helped his brother get a truck, get yeah. some money um, <laughs> so he can uh, grow more flowers. Uh, we got Jason James, co-owner of Moon Valley Farm, and he's in the running for Best CSA of Baltimore, so you need to make sure you reach out to him on, them on social media, Moon Valley Farm. Um, and Kristen Carbone on the phone, um, former owner of Radix Farm, and currently working as a farm consultant and farming part-time in Baltimore. And we'll be right back with uh, Dr. Margaret Gray.
Welcome back. This is Denzel Mitchell sitting in for Mark Steiner here on Sound Bites and the Mark Steiner Show here on your source for cool jazz and more. Uh, I am on the phone with Dr. Margaret Gray. She is the Associate Professor of Political Science at Adelphi University and the author of Labor and the Local War, The Making of a Comprehensive Food Ethic. She joins us to talk about her article in the Jacobin, The Dark Side of Eking, Eating Local. There's nothing ethical about buying local and supporting small farms when the workers on them are brutally exploited. I have to admit that the title hurt my heart a little bit. Um, Jason James from Moon Valley Farm is still in the uh, studio with us, as well as uh, Walker Marsh. Um, so how you doing, Dr. Gray? Hi, Denzel. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. <laughs> so um, um, talk a little bit about this issue. So amongst farmers and, and eaters, um, um, definitely environmentally conscious and ethical eaters. Uh, I've worked in the industry as a chef. Um, I've, I've worked as a farmer uh, for many years, and this has constantly, constantly been a, a conversation. And um, I have to admit, uh, way back when I was reading Eric Schlosser's book, uh, Reefer Madness, and he had a whole section about uh, the strawberry industry in California, and he talked about the um, um, condition and the plight of, uh, of workers. And I, I remember having uh, quite a few nightmares. Um, so reading your article um, took me right back to that place about how, how difficult it can be at a lot of larger farms um, for um, immigrant workers. Yeah, and I think Eric Schlosser has done an amazing job bringing light to labor conditions um, and primarily focused on you know the, that strawberry industry, a monocrop corporate system. Um, but nobody had done a lot of research on the t conditions of farm workers in smaller regional agriculture like the Hudson Valley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what I was really curious about. What were the conditions of workers on these smaller farms? And yeah, I was I was uh, reading through the article. I was trying to find uh, like some specific uh, acreage. Um, like you know, what what were you considering a smaller farm? Right. <laughs> and you know from your experience these are very nebulous terms. <laughs> right. Um, right. So I, you know, c certainly not the farms that your roundtable was just discussing. Mm -hmm. The average farm size in the Hudson Valley is about 187 acres. Um, and the farms where I conducted my interviews all were hiring um, immigrant workers mm. um, and the they ranged from hiring three workers to about 80 workers Wow. Um, with a pretty fair range in between. I did interview someone on an organic farm who didn't hire any immigrant workers, and you know, he had a really interesting story to tell. He, he felt it was really important for workers to do a maximum of 35 hours a week. He, his starting salary was several dollars over minimum wage, and he thought he was competing more with um, servers in restaurants and mm -hmm. bartenders for jobs. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but he was selling, um, you know, baby lettuces to restaurants. So he very much had this boutique um, niche. Mm -hmm. And most of the farms where I did my research were growing much more standard fare that was stocking farmer's markets. Farmer's markets. Uh, grocery stores, too? Or, or they, they were going to farmer's markets? So it, um, certainly some particularly apples, um, might have been headed to grocery markets. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting about the Hudson Valley is 
there are so many farmers who for decades had access to a wholesale market that kept them thriving. Um, and that really changed at the end of the 20th century. And so you've had a lot of um, multi-generational family farms that used to only do wholesale that in the past 15 years have reformulated the way they do business to take advantage of local. Um, and I've seen that again and again. So it was, a, it was a mix of where the farms were selling. But for the most part, it was only that one organic farmer that I met who actually got into the business with the local model. Mm -hmm. um, in all the other situations, people had transformed their businesses over the years because of market challenges. Oh, right. Okay. So, you know, when you, you started to mention the uh, size of farms, there was a bunch of blinking eyes here in the room. <laughs> farmers, cause, you know, none of us can really fathom. I mean, I think, you know, uh, jo Joan and Drew up in one straw, they're like 100 and... Uh, 120 some odd acres, I mean, but that's the biggest I've seen. But I know in, in lots of other parts of the country, that's considered a small farm. I was on a plane once with a um, a melon um, grower in Delaware, and his farm was 2,000 acres. Wow, <laughs> that's big. That's big. That's yeah. huge. And, and he employed migrant workers. Um, um, these this group of guys that kind of traveled in packs and. Um, um, and they they did all harvesting on uh, shave top uh, school buses. <laughs> wow, <laughs> crazy, wow. crazy. Anyway, yeah, um, what's interesting about New York is that we really don't have a large population of migrant workers. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, traditionally, you had black workers, both Afro Caribbean and African American, mm -hmm. you know, coming up in Eastern migrant stream. Um, when I did my research, I have found only about a quarter of the workers were truly migrants, um, but the vast majority of the immigrant workers were living in the Hudson Valley year-round, even though they only had seasonal jobs. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, th th that's an issue that they face being farm workers when they only have seasonal work, and it's just too expensive to go home to and go back. Home. Yeah, right. and, and, you know, n not just costly financially, but physically psychologically mm -hmm. because of the journey they have to take. Mm -hmm. But then also too expensive to stay, right? I mean, because you also talked about um, how difficult it was for them to live here and, you know, and try to make this American dollar stretch in the American economy and not really having a, any other uh, way to create income. Yeah, it's a conundrum because plenty of workers come initially and they're sending the vast majority of their income home to their mm -hmm. families. Um but, you know, they get lonely, so right. they end up bringing their families here. And then, as you said, it's very difficult to be able to survive on that sort of income. So often, um, for example, if they brought a wife up, maybe she'll try to get a job cleaning or in a restaurant. Um, but, you know, it's, it's tough for undocumented workers to try to find stable income. Right. Um, most of the workers I met were single males, um, or I should say solo males, because mm. most of them did have families at home. Mm -hmm. but, but for the ones who were living here, I, I only interviewed a handful who had recently moved off the farm into a local, you know, maybe into a house that was cut up into apartments. But mm. the most of the workers I met lived on the farm in housing provided by the grower. Um, and I think it was only on one farm where the the housing wasn't winterized, so they couldn't stay through the year. 
Oh, wow. Um, but I, I know we don't have a lot of time. Mm. I guess I would just want to point out that what I write about is not extreme labor abuses. Um, it's not that sort of muckraking research. I really wanted to better understand what are the structural factors that reproduce the inequality of these farm workers. Mm. Um, and in New York State, as in most other states, they don't have a right to overtime pay. They don't have a right to day of rest. They don't have collective bargaining protection. Mm. And there's an incredible power disparity when you're a non-English speaking, undocumented immigrant, doesn't even have a high school degree. Um, it's just really tough when there's a problem that comes up to try to address the problem. Right, right. So how can um, eaters, how can, how can food purchasers kind of uh, work to remedy, remedy this issue? Because, you know, as you were talking, all three of us were sitting here nodding our heads because, you know, we uh, completely understand. I mean, I know where your farm is located, there's lots of larger farms, and you see, see, you know, guys passing around all the time, and, you know, they definitely are in the same situation. So what do eaters do? Like, how do we, how do we educate eaters? You know, I think that's a great question. I think when we think food movement, um, think of the food movement as being this incredible educational campaign. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been educated about the environment and how important it is to limit pesticide use. We've been educated about sustainability locally and preserving open spaces. We've been educated about the way animals are treated. And I think the more consumers have been educated about this, the more we are interested in purchasing from farmers who are providing this. Mm -hmm. um, and to date, I just think there's been little education out there about the way farm workers are treated. So, you know, I haven't exactly seen anybody in the farmer's market with a little sign up saying, <laughs> you know, ethical labor. Right, you know? right, so right. I think we're a way off from that. And I think even, you know, even just having this conversation on your show is a really important step. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the most important is to try to find out if there are farm worker efforts in your state. Um, so, you know, there's often plenty legislation out there, but you certainly want to find efforts that have workers involved to some extent so that you know th what their stories are. Um, mm -hmm. But it's hard. They're a very hidden population. So I think it's about pushing more of the media and more of the food movement to really investigate, to talk about this, to educate. Um, because I think most people assume, oh, Hudson Valley local food. Right, right. They're not thinking about 80 workers no, on definitely a farm. No, Chess They're thinking Chesapeake Bay local food, that's great. Mm. Go, go ahead and get yeah. a sandwich. Mm. Not thinking about yeah. who picked the tomatoes at all. Mm. So, and I know you wanted to mention about your labor practices at uh, Moon Valley. Well, yeah, it's, um, it's something we've talked about a lot and that we find um, is not actually as big of a conversation among a lot of farmers that we think it should be. Mm -hmm. um, for our first couple of years, we relied heavily on interns and volunteers. And, you know, I don't think anything that could be defined as abusive labor practices, but certainly not paying people mm -hmm. what they were necessarily worth. And coming into this season, we made a conscious decision that we were going to pay everybody who did work on our farm at least $10 an hour for every hour that they worked. Mm -hmm. um, so we pay between 10 and $15 an hour based on experience, and um, it's a huge cost for us. 
Yeah. You know, it's our yeah. single biggest cost this season oh, yeah. is paying yeah. for that labor. Uh, it's it's about 60 cents of every dollar that comes into the farm. Mm-hmm. And it, I completely understand why farmers don't do that because it's so very expensive and it's so hard to get above your bottom line as a farmer right, as right. is. Um, but I think it's something that's got to be part of the conversation or we're, we're not talking ethical food. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thank you, uh, Dr. Gray. That was Dr. Margaret Gray. She's associate professor of political science at Adelphi University. Um, and her book is Labor and the Local War, the Making of a Comprehensive Food Ethic. Um, this was Denzel Mitchell sitting in for Mark Steiner here. Um, our senior producer is Mark Gunnery. Our producer is Imani Spence. Engineers Andre Melton. Our interns are Morgan Barber and Calvin Perry. Our theme music is by Wall Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's show at uh, talk at steinershow.org. And specifically today, because today is my uh, live debut on our radio, so I want to hear how I did. Um, you can also subscribe to the podcast of The Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting apps. Um, uh, for your source of cool jazz and more, WEAA, the voice of the community, I'm Denzel Mitchell. Take care. <laughs>